Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So seriously, I have to show you something. I just want you to look at this picture and tell me what you think. Okay, <laughs> this is a trick question. That's Vicky. She totally got work done. Does she not look different? Look at the chin. <gasps> she got a chin implant? I don't know. Look at the nose. Look well, at the, she is getting look out with Jim and Alexa, so maybe she got a chin implant. She looks like Jim. Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry. We're having a special episode this week for a couple reasons. Number one, I was planning on replacing these Friday episodes, at least temporarily until Sister Wives came back, with recaps of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. However, there was no episode this week. I'm not sure if that was something we all knew or should have known or if this was a late stage decision on Bravo's behalf because of the horrific bullying that happened to Garcelle's son Jax on Instagram. But regardless, the episode didn't air, so that left me in the dilly of a pickle, as they say. Um, secondly, I came to realize that I think this might be my 400th episode. I'm not quite sure how to feel about that. I'm not sure if it's a little bit embarrassing because I only started this podcast in November of 2019. Um, but it is an accomplishment. It's an accomplishment nonetheless. So, you know, this led me to seek my happiness. Okay. And I decided to talk about something that I've never talked about before. And I'm going to tell you guys my top picks for the five Caraberries, the everyone's business but mine, 
top five essential housewives episodes. Now, we're going to have a put it criteria here so you guys can, you know, get into get into it. Yeah, as Doja Cat says, um, my criteria is, first of all, I wanted to spread the wealth because like I could easily say that there are like three great Real Housewives of Atlanta episodes that are better than any other franchise. But, you know, you know we don't want to diversify here. Um, so they're not going to be in any particular order. But my version of the best have the following criteria. First of all, we're going to throw any sort of morality out of the window. We're not going to be taking like the 2022 lens out of it. I'm freeing myself and I'm freeing all of you. We know these ladies are horrible. Everything that happens in one of these episodes are like morally corrupt. Like I'm not going to get into it. Like I'm just going to enjoy it. And I hope you do too. I'm giving you a pass. This is a safe space. Have fun. Um, so I wanted episodes that were actually laugh out loud funny, actually, um, something that was important to the franchise. Um, and something that was just like highly entertaining. And I really feel good about the list and I hope you guys do too. Like I said, this is going to be in no particular order, but we are going to start off with Real Housewives of Orange County, season eight, episode one, Bullies and Babies. You guys, I picked so well. I don't generally enjoy the Real Housewives of Orange County. It's never been in my list of favorite franchises, never will be. And I'm fine with that. There are whole seasons that I've not watched. Um, and I probably never will, you know, I probably never will. But with that being said, I would be lying if I said that there weren't great seasons, especially in the, the you know, in the golden years. I think season eight might be the beginning of the end in terms of quality. Um, Shannon's not there yet. You know, something to think about. Something to think about. Um, but this is like great, great television. So I'm going to start off by like getting us into the mind frame of what was going on with these ladies before I do just like a mini recap of the episode as you know I air quotes around mini who's to say how long it might be this could be a seven hour episode it won't be but it could be so Real Housewives of Orange County season seven was quite explosive and really set the tone for so many things in the future so let's get into it okay we're going into season eight. Vicky and Tamara at, are at odds with each other because Brooks recently entered the scene. He was a season seven entry, right? And season finale of season seven, um, they were at a dinner in which Brooks accused Tamara of giving Vicky the evil eye. And then things really took a tumble from there. You know, you're supposed to be my sister, my soulmate, that sort of thing. She's just screeching in the middle of Orange County in a full-length fur coat that Brooks got her. <laughs> I mean, we don't get we don't get television like this anymore. Brianna got to Vegas and got hitched. She's heavily pregnant at this point. Gretchen still wants to marry Slade despite the fact that he is the definition of a deadbeat in every sense of the word. Father, boyfriend, employee, et al. Heather has officially changed her last name to Debro, and that was a big deal for her because, you know, that meant 
giving up the life that she had as a highly successful TV actress. You guys remember that? Me either. Tamara is specially engaged to Eddie after getting her last ditch effort tattoo uh, engagement with Simon on her ring finger. She got that removed. Alexis is fighting hard and waving the flag for all Christians who want to also be disgusting, capitalist, materialistic, shallow pigs. Get you a girl who has both. You know what I mean? So Don's moved out. He took all of his Tommy Bahama button-ups with him to some condo in Ladera, probably. Uh, Michael's gone. Brianna and Ryan have decided to move in so that Vicky can help with the baby while Ryan is deployed. Um, Vicky also talks about the other change that's happened in her life, which is um, that she has made acquaintance, if you will, with Alexis Bellino's plastic surgeon and decided to get a little tweaks, a lot of tweaks. Okay. Um, some cartilage out of the nose. We got some fat injected into the tops of the cheeks. So you can't have wrinkles and you know, while you're there, why don't you put pop in a chin? You know what I mean? So now you remember that all of this happened because Slade bullied her at some sort of low-level comedy night amateur hour in which he called her Miss Piggy. The irony of all of this is that after Vicky describes what she's done, she says that her face is still numb and that she kind of feels like a Muppet, which like, baby, I thought we were trying to move away from those comparisons and that you're the one who keeps bringing him back into the room. So at what point do we take responsibility for that? You know what I mean? Vicky has told none of the other housewives that she's gotten that surgery. And so she says she feels like they're going to talk, but they can say it to her face, her numb face. Vicky claims that she and Brooks have broken up because of all the drama that was going on with Brianna not approving of them and the issues with Tamara. But like, then she says, if I decide to get back with Brooks, it's because I want to do things my way, which... This is a shit that you say when you're definitely still fucking him and you just don't want anybody to know. We all know this. She's so funny. Heather invites all the ladies, except for Alexis, to a clam bake at her house because she says she doesn't want Alexis in her life. Terry and Heather get into one of their infamous fights, and I mean infamous by she keeps talking about it, but I don't think anybody else cares. Because she's trying to come up with the menu for this clam bake and Terry wants to have onion rings and this annoys her to no end. And she gets to the point where she says that sometimes Terry is like a little brother, the, the little brother that she didn't want. <laughs> I'm not married, but I feel like that's not something you should say about your partner. I don't know. Heather also says that she's going to be bringing security or providing security at the party because she doesn't want anything to happen like last time. The, um red massacre that happened at her last party when that bitch that blonde random bitch came and took that bow off of her cake monster and you know what she's never gonna let that happen again so Tamara and her kids have moved into Eddie's house and they're finalizing the plans for Tamara's new fitness studio they're trying to go over the mock-ups for the business cards and what the website's going to look like. And, you know, given the fact that Cut Fitness actually closed this week, it really felt poetic and prophetic. I think we can all agree that 
I thought both of those relationships, both business and marriage, would have been over years ago. So <laughs> congratulations to us all. Um, she and Gretchen are now friends now that Tamara and Vicky are on the outs. So they go shopping and we see Gretchen watch it, walk in with ugh, just a relic of time that I completely forgot about. Her oversized baby pink Gretchen Christine Butte purses. You guys remember when Gretchen used to sell purses and makeup? Oh my God. I'm breathless. I'm absolutely breathless. So Heather happens to call while they're shopping and she lets them know that Brianna's actually in labor and Heather or Vicky had called Heather and Tara was like feeling a little bit salty because she says, you know, last year, if Brianna had gone into labor, I would have been the first call. And she tells us about all the times that she and Vicky have been fighting recently. So we get a montage of the reunion where these chicks just went in on each other. Vicky accuses Tamara of having feelings for Eddie before she got divorced from Simon. Tamara throws it back at Vicky of, um, why don't I tell everybody about how one time you called me while you were in Mexico and you said that you woke up drunk with some man naked in the bed next to you. <laughs> and then Tamara says that since the reunion, since the finale party, Vicky sent her an email that accused her once again of uh, Tamara giving her the evil eye and how Tamara's a horrible person, how Eddie's going to leave her one day. And if that wasn't enough, <laughs> Tamara's also on the outs with Alexis because she called Alexis Jesus Jugs at the reunion and Jim and Alexis are now threatening to sue. <laughs> Gretchen is also on the outs with Alexis because Alexis accused everybody of bullying her. And Gretchen, really, like, <laughs> this is maybe, like, the one time that I've agreed with Gretchen. She says that she feels like this is the whole thing with Alexis is bullshit. And that Alexis is basically trying to hop on the trend because at the time, bullying was, like, the hot topic of the day because there were, you know, kids completing suicide because of it. And that basically, like... Gretchen or Alexis is just trying to hop on this to elicit sympathy from people and she's not going to deal with it. And I'm with you, girl. Oh my God. Tamara says in a confessional, I don't know if Alexis is going to show up at the clam bake, but if she does, she'll be invisible, invisible Jesus Barbie. Gretchen is starting off this season in a good space, you know, in the way that Gretchen is kind of always in a good space because she's, extremely fake but also Slade has gotten a job working part-time at a radio station so in her words now nobody can say jack diddly crap about him <laughs> okay girl Alexis is dealing with a lot of new changes for her. She uh just moved into a new home. She got a haircut. She got a long a lob, I think you call it. So that's been a big deal for her. It's been a lot of changes. Um, she got her extensions out is basically what she's saying. <laughs> you took your extensions out, girl. She's totally going like, uh, my husband's, uh, you know, wants to be mayor or maybe comptroller. And so she's kind of going into this more conservative thing, but clearly because Tamara called her Jesus Jugs. And it's so sad. Alexis Bellino's life is so sad. 
She and Jim are also disagreeing about the decor of the house and they go into a room that they're arguing about. There's a piano in the room and on top of the piano is a bronze statue of a woman. If you look at it closely, it looks like a drawing, like a drawing that you would see somebody do in middle school of like a homie, but it's a bronze statue of like a sexy homie girl. You know what I mean? It's very strange. It's an odd choice. And, I, you know, Alexis, I might be on your side on this. Jim, Alexis says she doesn't want it in the house because they have a young son. Also, it's like fucking hideous. And Jim looks at her. He's such a pig. He looks at her and says, do you even know anything about art? <laughs> Bitch, first of all, this statue looks like something you would find in a gift shop in Las Vegas like the kind of gift shop that Michael Jackson would find his home furnishings like this is nobody's prize this is not art sir you paid probably seven thousand dollars for this and you're like you know what I'm keeping it then Jim decides to slut shame Alexis by pointing that the lady in the statue is wearing a long dress whereas look at what you're wearing right now Alexis is wearing, like, a shorts romper. (laughs) He's awful. And then Alexis Bellino has the nerve to say that she and Jim are in the best place of their life. Never been better. (laughs) I'm also, like, 85% sure that Jim is drunk during this time because they're, like, going back and forth Alexis found out about the clam bake, but she knows she's not invited, right? So she's, like, kind of trying to be like, yeah, well, I didn't want to be there in the first place, you know? And Jim is just like, you know what? Like, you know, you need people who are going to lift you up. You need to be around women who are going to lift you up and not tear you down. You know what they did to you? You know what they did? They were like a pack of wolves. Just like a hungry pack of wolves at that table. <laughs> and then Alexis says... That Heather turns from nice to mean so effortlessly that it's really a wonder that she wasn't a more successful actress. (laughs) That's history, baby. Like, this shit is delicious. So, Brianna ends up having the baby. And then Vicky heads off to this clam bake. Her face is still swollen, but she's like, you know what? I'm confident about the whole situation because it's my body and my choice. And I really laughed because I was like, damn, of course Vicky would use that phrase for her talking about her elective plastic surgery and not, you know, the real reason why people use that phrase. And then I thought in Orange County, that probably is more used for elective plastic surgery than abortion. God bless America. So then Gretchen and Tamara, or excuse me, Gretchen goes over to Tamara and Eddie's. And I feel like maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like going over to somebody's house before an event, especially when you were beefing with somebody, was much more impactful to a storyline in Housewives than it is now. Maybe they're just not hitting for me anymore. Maybe I'm so used to them. It's stale, but... Watching this was so thrilling because these are just like two ooh, little mean girls just like can't wait. Like a little pack of hyenas cannot wait to be mean to Vicky. They're trying to set up strategy about what they're going to do when they see her and all of this shit. 
And this is the scene of the episode for me. Somehow, we don't find out how, Tamara has gotten a picture. She's procured a picture of Vicky, probably from production. That's probably why we don't know how she got it. It is a close-up picture of Vicky where you can clearly see that her face is very swollen from the surgery. So Tamara hands the phone over to Gretchen and says, guess who that is? Gretchen looks at the phone and then she looks back at Tamara and says, is this a trick question? my god then they start pointing and this is what i'm talking about like we're not getting into the morality of this because this is objectively horrible but i laughed and you will too uh, then they start looking at the picture and pointing out like which areas of their face that they think are different gretchen clocks this shit immediately she's like chin implant chin implant and then she goes you know vicky has been hanging out with jim and alexis a lot i think that's probably where she got it and tamra goes oh my god she does look like jim <laughs> And then Gretchen says in a confessional, I hope that Vicky doesn't try to turn this around and say that she got this surgery because what Slade said about her, because she had the nerve to do this whole speech about how her parents gave her that face and she's so proud of it. So like, I'm going to kill that bitch if she tries to turn the shit around on me. (laughs) And then Tamara says, that she wants to go up to Vicky and just gently tuck her hair behind her ear so she can see the surgery scars. And then Eddie scores a point up on the board. When Gretchen asks Tamara what she's going to say to Vicky when she first sees her, and Eddie says, well, you're going to have to spot her first. excuse the hell out of me they get to the clam bake and this is like a uh you know cliffhanger situation um they get to the table where everybody's seating and Gretchen folds immediately because when she finds out that she has to sit next to Vicky she's like oh my god I'm gonna have a fucking panic attack why did you sit me next to her this is horrible why did can I move please and then Vicky and her face roll in. And that's lights, baby. This was such a good episode. Oh my god. Okay, let's move on to my number four pick. I mean, alright, Candace, I'll be honest. I have I'm with the glasses. Yes. It it seems kind of just strange that you have such I wanna, you know, for lack of better words, a hard on. <laughs> For Ashley's life. And well, the fact that, like, you're not letting it go. Yeah, you don't let that thing go. You hold on to that thing. It's well, like, I'm, your not, answer... I'm, not holding on to, I'm not holding on to it. It's just that it keeps coming up. You mentioned, you know, hard-ons and penises. Right. So at L2, we were talking, it was me, Chris, you, Ashley, and Michael. And... We were all kind of talking, and I think Chris was talking about restaurant stuff, and something came up about sausages. And Michael made a comment about sausages and wanting to suck a sausage. Recall. Recall. Okay. Wait a minute, hold on. I thought I was, like, hearing things. Coming up at number four is Real Housewives of Potomac, season four, episode eight, Sex, Lives, and butter knives. Oh man. 
Monique and Chris just had a party to celebrate their rainbow baby. And Ashley decided to speak up about her or she and Michael's experience with their own miscarriage. Candace had gone to Giselle to basically call bullshit on this whole situation. Remember, they Ashley had like started off the season being like, I'm really determined to have this baby. But then they went to an event and she had a beer. And so Candace, that famous line, are we having a baby or are we having a corona? Giselle also asks, interestingly enough, I mean, this is like a real, almost like Forrest Gump moment. Like she cemented history without even really knowing it. She asked Candace, where was Michael during all of this? And she's like, I have no idea. Y'all flash forward. We find out that Michael was uh, at this party goosing a cameraman down. Yeah, that party y'all at a rainbow baby celebration party. Michael assaulted a cameraman. Yeah. I am so glad that we don't have to deal with this golem of a man anymore. We're so blessed. If there's anything that's been good about the past two years is that we no longer have to deal with Michael Darby. Just hold on. We're going home. So the episode begins with a flash forward montage of a fight between Candace and Ashley. So we already know that shit's about to be Poppington, right? Like it's about to be off the chain. So then we get the screen that says one week earlier, Candace and Ashley, excuse me, Candace and uh, Chris are hanging at Dorothy's house and Candace is not really in the greatest of moods. Frankly, she is, Super motivated to get the hell out of uh, Dorothy's home, get into their own place because some shit went down. The week before that, Candace and Dorothy were at a wedding of a friend of theirs and Candace doesn't tell us what she says, but she said something that Dorothy didn't like. And at that point, Candace got a Dooney and Burke to the temple. They're not doing well at this point. It's a real sore spot for Candace. We're at like three minutes and 20 seconds into this episode. And, you know, Candace has got the Kleenex right in the cornea. I wonder if like, maybe this is morbid, but after Candace passes, could we just, maybe if she could put it in her will now that after she passes, um, could they just check if there has been like damage to her eyes because of all the crying and really because like gosh like imagine all the kleenex dust that might collect in her eyes is it doing anything i'm concerned i just think that candace should keep a you know waterproof mascara and an eye drop on her at all times i care god bless christopher bassett for um trying to put some money into the family coffer for the home by Uh, creating a cookbook and having the ladies over to try some of the recipes because he knows they're a tough crowd. He also wants Ashley to be there because she, I don't know, I guess has a long history of eating kangaroo meat from that failed restaurant she had with Michael. So Candace begrudgingly decides to invite her. After that, Candace goes, excuse me, Ashley goes on a walk with Giselle and Robin and Giselle 
as she's wont to do, takes this opportunity to tell Ashley all the shit that Candace was talking about that rainbow party and how she didn't believe that they were being honest about their feelings. And Robin doesn't say anything until she's in a confessional. And she says, I can kind of understand why Candace would think that was fake because there's something weird with the relationship between Michael and Ashley. So then we see Karen and Ray. That's our unfortunately only uh, scene of them, the episode. Karen is like desperate to try to bring some life into her relationship with Ray. And so she does that by forcing him into these activities that he clearly doesn't want to go to. So here we are at the Fred Astaire dance studio to take a group ballroom dancing lesson. The black Bill Gates has a lot of things to do. Okay. First of all, he has to pay his bills. Secondly, he doesn't want to be doing this. He'd rather be upstairs eating Nilla wafers. I don't really know what he does when he goes up there, taking a nap, um, probably taking a nap with a Nilla wafer in his mouth. I don't know, but he doesn't want to be here is the point. He's a very reluctant participant. (laughs) Karen's yelling at him the only time, the whole time you're fighting me. Ray, why are you fighting me, Ray? And when they're done, Karen tries to like, you know, she's almost reminiscent of Teresa season one, like trying to convince us that her relationship with Joe was this like match made in heaven when it was truly a uh, match made in a very dank basement in Mawa or something. Um, so Ray looks at her and is like, yeah, that was fun. Like, I'm dying to do something else, but that was good. (laughs) I love Ray. I would encourage everybody to, when Ray is on camera, just put your volume up too, just two punches and really listen because Ray really mumbles a lot of bangers. They're very funny. Later, Monique does an America's Next Top Model style underwater maternity photo shoot and she in her pool. She invites Ashley. Of course, this is like a setup to talk shit about everybody else. And she tells her everything that Candace said about Ashley being fake. And also that Candace is going around telling everybody that Monique called Katie Amistad. Katie's back, you guys. And she's got an arsenal of wigs that should have been retired months if not years ago at this point our girl is going through it god bless her you guys i love katie i love katie in the way that i love you know kim richards and i think we all know what we mean about that they're people who i desperately want on tv but we probably shouldn't be let's be honest um but i love katie i really like she genuinely has a soft spot in my heart um but Monique was having this conversation and she was trying to say that like compared to the Katie that we first saw on the show, she's like a lot more free. And then she uses a very wrong analogy of like, she's like, Amistad, give me free. Amistad is the name of a slave ship, you guys. So it's not really like the correct comparison. (laughs) So when Candace tells Giselle what Monique said, Candace is like, or excuse me, Giselle's like, oh, she called her a slave? Is that what you mean? Candace says yes, which she should not have, but technically she was right. Giselle ends up running with this and then, you know, telephone style, yada, 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 Monique called Katie a slave. Monique's not happy about this. She's like, I definitely would never have said something like that. Technically she did, but 
also she didn't, you know? Candace and Monique later meet up at what I think we should just call the official restaurant of the Real Housewives, Fig and Olive. Every franchise, every season it seems like they go there. Definitely in Orange County. Definitely in Beverly Hills. Here they are in Potomac. I think they go there in Atlanta too. They must have some sort of deal. Have we, has anybody done a deep dive? Is there a Patreon episode somewhere about the Fig and Olive Real Housewives connection? Because I'd pay that. I'd want to know. Anyway, when Monique confronts Candace about like, uh, why did you tell somebody that she's like, I didn't. So that was Giselle. I probably should not have told Giselle because now I'm realizing that she hates you, Monique. So my bad. Probably shouldn't have done that. Anyway, Juan and Robin are in a really interesting place. And I kind of forgot about this. Um, Obviously, they've been like living together and the kids don't know that they were ever divorced. Like they don't know that they're currently divorced at this point. Well, they found out because apparently one of them got on Google and typed in Juan Dixon, Robin Dixon. And, you know, that's all she wrote. So, you know, Robin's like, our kids, you know, the situation was like, we got divorced. Our kids were too young for us to really have that conversation with them. And then Juan came back so quickly. It was like, never really a thing. And then she says, you know, she just feels some type of way about not being able to tell them before they found out on their own. And that's true. That's true. It, it's, I think at this point, the oldest one is 10. And that does seem a little young, you know, but also, you know, don't talk about it on a show. Somebody might tell them, you know, like at that point, who knows a student, a fellow classmate might say it. I don't know. But anyway, it's not, they're fine. The kids are fine. The thing is that Robin says that now it's kind of like, now that the kids know, they're like, when are you guys going to get married again? So it's now like there's pressure for she and Juan to figure out what it is they want to do with themselves. So gosh, how many years ago was that at this point? And we're just now getting to the marriage license just a couple of days ago. A lot of full circle moments happening in this episode. I'm liking that. Um, so Everybody starts to pull up to Candace's house or Dorothy's house or whatever um, for the tasting. Giselle and Robin get there early. So, of course, Giselle demands that they get a treat uh, in the form of food for their uh, earliness. And when she puts that purple potato skin in her mouth, she is like rocketed to outer space. She says in a confessional, I can see why Candace likes him. It's not the brown penis. It's the food. Actually, it could be the brown penis because she doesn't really eat that much. Well, anyway. I would also like to add, if you watch this episode, please note that every time somebody comes to the door and Candace greets them, they make a mention of the fact that she's wearing this really cute turban. (laughs) And she tells every single one of them that she's boycotting her edges that month. So the drama between Candace and Ashley that night begins before Ashley even gets there. And Giselle asks uh, if Ashley's even coming. And Candace is like, yeah, I invited her. You know, she gave me this little fake moment by being extra friendly about the invite. Like, yeah, I'm going to come. And Giselle's like, okay, I'm not going to let you call Ashley fake. And Candace is like, okay. Her hair is real. Her forehead is certainly real. 
There are real parts about her. So then Robin asks Candace, why does it seem like you have such a hard on about Ashley? And Candace is like, I don't. It's just that things keep coming up. But speaking of hard ons and penises, um, we were at that party and it was me and you and Chris, Michael, Ashley was there. Michael made a comment about sausage or Chris made a comment about sausages. And I think Michael made a comment about wanting to suck a sausage. And then Robin is like, Oh, you're kidding. I fucking thought I was hearing things. I woke up the next day and I was like, did he say something like that? But then I thought I was dreaming and Oh my God, I just thought I was drunk. So Candace does a confessional that she basically is like, listen, I can keep on this campaign about Ashley because I feel like her relationship with Michael is a sham. So Candace is justifying um, calling Ashley fake during a moment where she's being emotional about her miscarriage because she feels like Michael's gay. And so this relationship isn't real anyway. Let's no comment because again, the morality clause were taking it out. I just, we're going to sit with that for just one second. Okay, let's move on. So now Robin, Giselle and Candace are all like hype because this rumor has just been confirmed. Robin says, my memory is that I just heard Michael mention like, yeah, I would suck somebody's dick in passing. And then Michael and Ashley just somehow disappeared for all this time, like 30 minutes or something. So Chris finally gets involved and he was like, yeah, I heard Michael say that. And then I looked over at you, Candace, and was like, did I hear that right? And so then Chris said he thought that he heard Michael say he wanted to suck a sausage. But uh, Robin is adamant that she heard him say, I want to suck somebody's husband's dick. Obviously, girl, obviously he meant Juan. Like, no shade. It clearly wasn't going to be Ray. I don't think he likes Chris, white one. And I'm pretty sure he's terrified of the black one. So, I mean, even though Juan is distinctly, significantly more attractive than basically all of them uh, put together. (laughs) You know, the mystery remains. Anyway, um, so then Robin says she just feels like she's having deja vu because three years ago, uh, Michael put his hands on uh, Katie's ex-boyfriend. So now we have two instances that we know of at this point of Michael goosing somebody down when he's had uh, one too many Coronas. At that point, they all decide that Michael's uh, drunken actions are his sober thoughts. And that's it. End of story. So Monique gets there and... (laughs) That leaves Robin and Giselle to like be kind of whispering and trying to strategize how they're going to navigate this night. So Robin's like, what do we do with this information about Ashley? And Giselle's like, I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring it up. Obviously. Giselle says in a confessional, listen, we have breaking hot off the press penis sucking news. So when Monique walks in, I can't really even check her about this Amistad thing right now. We have to deal with the issue. And the issue right now is a penis. So the last ladies who arrive are Ashley and Katie. 
Everybody sits down. Chris is asking Monique, like, he cooked something in a port wine. Does she want it or not? And this brings up the conversation of, you know, can a pregnant woman have the occasional glass of wine? Yeah, they do it in France, says Ashley. And then she goes, so interesting that we're, um, you know, having this conversation about whether or not a pregnant woman can drink sometimes, but apparently it's a faux pas when I have any alcohol, when I'm trying to get pregnant. Is that right, Candace? So then Candace, this is the, get her on a TV show. I need Candace to be a regular working actress. I need her to win an Emmy and frankly, a, a Grammy. And really, we can get her on the Tony as well. Candace Dillard Bassett, I'm saying this right now, has the greatest potential in all of Housewives to get the EGOT. And just a side note, there have been multiple Housewives included uh, commercials lately, mostly involving Kyle and somebody else. And I got to tell you all one thing. Whoever else is in the commercial with Kyle eats her up every fucking time she was in a commercial with Dorit and I thought Dorit was like damn bitch like you need to be giving her acting lessons I was genuinely impressed that's just a weird side note but if anybody else has noticed that I have too I'm with you so Candace starts her performance by saying you know the surgeon general says that consuming any alcohol or cigarettes is frowned upon that was my only point so then Robin decides to remind Ashley that Candace had said something about Michael having crocodile tears, just stirring that pot right on up and uh, at Monique's rainbow party. Right. So at that point, Candace says, I felt, I feel as though, and then we can't really hear what Candace says because Giselle says, can we get something to eat first? <laughs> Throughout this whole time, Monique and, and Giselle are just gently trying to get uh, get him to pass that duck quesadilla. Can I get an egg? Please. Please. I can't do this. I know where this is going. This is really about to be a clash of the titans. And they need some carbs before they head back to Bethesda or wherever the fuck. When we hear Candace next, she says that she just feels like Michael was fake or putting on. And Ashley says, who do you think he was putting on for? So Candace says, for you, for you and for the congregation. I don't know who says it, but somebody goes, who's the congregation? <laughs> so then Ashley tells Candace, this is me and Michael's business. I don't know why you were peeping in on our stuff. At this point, Candace picks up a butter knife and says, because you were on the mic. Okay, one thing about Candace is she's going to find something that is definitely not a microphone and turn it into one. And for that, we need to be grateful. She is um, an actress, a method actress, if you will, a prop comic. One of the greatest of our time is Candace Dillard Bassett, the next Gallagher. Something to think about. At this point. Candace and her butter knife microphone are mimicking Ashley at the rainbow party and boo-hoo-hooing into that stainless steel. And then Candace says that Ashley told everybody that Michael was crying. And so therefore that's public information. She can talk about whatever she wants. So then Ashley asks Candace, why do you care anyway? And Candace says, this is my other issue. My issue with you, Ashley, is that you have purported to be in this group to be command in command of everyone. 
and you want to know everything. But when I come to you with your truth, you're just like, "Ah, ah, mind your business. (laughs) So then Ashley says, are you seriously telling me that you know exactly what my body's feeling when your mama is still taking care of you? I'm in your mama's house right now. So then Candace starts to bang the butter knife and she screams, you better not talk about my mother. You better not. Then Ashley goes, don't ruin your mama's table. Don't ruin it. (laughs) Candace says screaming, do not talk about my mother and my home. And Ashley says, we're in your mama's house. So at this point, Chris has come out from that stove. He is now... (laughs) Trying to hold Candace and all of her 97 pounds back and the butter knife, just waving willy nilly in the air. She flings it maybe seven inches in front of her. Not a single threat to anybody, <laughs> but hilarious. And we appreciate it. And so then <laughs> she's screaming at Ashley, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. You guys, this is really, it should be a two part that I'm doing because the next episode is just incredible. The fight continues. Ashley leaves and then comes back and then leaves and then comes back again. The likes of which we have never seen in housewives history. (laughs) Uh, Candace goes to uh, therapy with her mother who is very much in denial about the purse throwing. (sighs) I really miss the real housewives of Potomac and I'm dying for it to come back. Andy. Drop the trailer. Let's move on. Look when she wakes up. When she wakes up, don't people, when they wake up, don't they wake up, like, startled? But instead, she woke up, like, and she was looking at him. And then she was like, like, did the cameras? Lisa wanted out from Dancing with the Stars. She wanted out. I don't blame her. I'd be tired, too, want to go home. All right, number three, our number three pick is maybe the least dynamic in terms of like um explosive things happening on the show but I think there are a lot of establishing things that happen in this particular episode and it really sets us off in a lot of different courses um and I picked Real Housewives of Beverly Hills season four episode two faint chance Now let's establish where we're at, okay? We are coming off of season three. Uh, Adrienne is no longer on the show because she refused to come to the reunion. That was our probably first explosive housewives firing, like public housewives firing, if I can remember correctly. Um, What else has happened? Taylor's gone. She has um, a boyfriend now in the form of her former divorce lawyer, and she's basically in love in Colorado and hanging out with John. So Kyle's really kind of on an island all of her own. She and Kim are getting along, but Kim's not really on the show at this point. Like she's friend of status, if anything. Um, And she has a problem with Lisa. She's got a problem with Yolanda. She's got a problem with Brandy. And we'll get into that later. Um, And so a lot of things have to happen because of that. Brandy's got a little money in her packet and she has declared herself the white Jeffersons because she's moved on up. Joyce and Carlton have entered the chat. Uh, Kim has adopted the one, the only Kingsley and Kyle and Lisa are in a bad space because Lisa had made a joke about how, um, 
oh, well, these were the rumors of uh, Mauricio being seen with a younger woman coming from because Mauricio was in the kitchen when they were hanging out at one point and he mentioned going out with Portia, running some errands with her. Um, Kyle takes this incredibly personally, as she's wont to do. As we all know, Kyle's uh, meter for what is acceptable starts and ends with her kids and then depending on whether or not there are other people's families or other people's children it's like you know really dependent on whether or not she likes you garcelle so um you know she's taking this very personally but i think we really need to put some things into context here like lisa is the bethany of beverly hills at this point she is the favored cast member people think she's so fabulous she now has a spin up with off with vanderpump rules that's successful she just opened sir they're talking about opening pump at this point in the episode um and she is the first housewife to be on dancing with the stars now Lisa Rinna was on the second season, but she wasn't a housewife at that time. She was just, you know, soap star Lisa Rinna. So uh, I kind of remember, and I don't know why I remember this, but I feel like at first Dancing with the Stars was very, even though, you know, the star in Dancing with the Stars is laughable at times um, compared to the people they hire. But I feel like they had a policy initially that was like, we don't do housewives. And so this was like a big deal that Lisa was able to be on the show. So I think a lot of these issues between Kyle and Lisa are just that, you know, Kyle's feeling a little bit left behind. This is also the beginning of the end for Yolanda and David because she found out that she has Lyme disease and... God, the things that they talk... We'll talk about it in a second. Okay. So one way you can tell that this Dancing with the Stars thing has completely gone to Lisa's head is because the first scene of the episode is her gushing, just like fiddling around her closet, gushing to Rocio and, um, you know, just about her show. Like, oh, I have to go off to, to Hollywood now to like rehearse and it's so hectic and things are so crazy and somebody's going to pick up Jiggy so he can be in the audience. And she says something about how like she's trying to talk to her. God. She's trying to talk to Rocio about um, how Gleb, her dancing partner, is really cute. And so the show is kind of like a legitimate form of uh, cheating on your husband. But she's like, you won't understand this. Like, you won't understand what I'm saying because you don't speak English. Ugh. 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 She's horrible. Horrible. But like deeper than that, you can tell that nobody really wants to do scenes like a bunch of scenes with Lisa about her dancing with the stars journey. And that's literally all she wants to talk about. Oh, my God. So then we get to Carlton's house and I forgot a couple things. Uh, one, I forgot she has a daughter named Mystery with an I at the end. Secondly, I forgot that her house was basically like. It looks like a mock-up for if Medieval Times decided to do a high-end restaurant. The arches, the crosses, she has a son named Cross. It's so wild. She has, um, you know, those like sconces with actual candles in it. Not like the automatic electric candles, not real candles, but they're red. So they give off a red glow. Everything's like red, black. And then also the 
South Southern California, like tans, you know, like a Vicky Gunvalson's house when we were going to Coto de Casa, that kind of vibe. So it's horrible. It's maybe the worst housewife home in terms of taste. And I might be including Gina's home goods laden casita. I think it might be second worst to Carlton's house. Yuck. Carlton claims to have this easy breezy, I don't ground my kids relationship with them as she's literally screaming at them about their knife skills. Like the typical mother thing. First of all, these children do not need to be having butcher knives. They do not need to be um, doing a fast chop, uh, chop on celery. I think that might be a little advanced. I know that there are lots of people out there who are teaching their like young children, like toddler age children, life skills and all of that. But it just seemed like a lot, especially when your mom is screaming at you to be careful from across the kitchen. And then when you look at her, she starts screaming at you again to not look at her when you have a knife in your hand. So she also talks about how she's got this, like, she doesn't censor herself. She lets the fucks fly with these children. She doesn't care. And then she tells this story. And I love when parents lie about their children. I love it. It's so funny. There's this whole trend on Twitter about like, my child said, you know, enter this incredibly prophetic uh, political commentary of my four-year-old who probably doesn't even, couldn't possibly conceptualize how the whole political spectrum in this country works, but suddenly they just said this entirely intelligent thing. Okay, girl. Okay. Sure he did. Um, <laughs> like little Rosemary didn't, um, make this, uh, feminine stance in the name of Nancy Pelosi. That didn't happen. Okay. Don't try to trick me. Oh yeah, Susan, you're telling me that your, um, five-year-old Bobby said that, um, Biden is running this country into the ground with the budget and he started crying. That really happened, Susan? Be real. Anyway, um, Carlton says that she doesn't watch her language around her kids. And that one time when her daughter was three, I'm not sure if this was mystery or destiny, but one of them, um, her daughter was looking at herself in the mirror and says, mommy, do I fucking rock? (laughs) And Carlton looked at her and says, you know what? You fucking beautiful. And Carlton says that this, I know I did two completely different English accents. I know. I know I heard it (laughs) and neither of them were good. We'll move on. Um, She says that that was the first time either destiny or mystery ever swore. And the last time you, you see what I mean? Like that story was bullshit. Mommy, do I fucking rock (laughs) three years old? Okay. Okay. So Yolanda has a port in her dealing with, uh, you know, her Lyme disease. It's putting, pumping antibiotics into her body four times a day, she says, but she's about to get the port taken out. This moment, this whole scene, I mean, the darkness, the darkness. Before she and David leave for the surgery, this actually made me laugh. Gigi looks down at her shoes and she says, Mom, are you nervous? I see you're wearing clogs and I know you wear clogs when you're nervous. (laughs) So then they leave. David's driving her. And David says in a confessional that this Lyme disease is has been something that he or will be something that he and Yolanda deal with for the rest of their lives, which will it? 
will it, David? Then he says, you know, I think the Lyme disease is actually showing that I can be a really good husband because, you know, I've sort of failed at that a couple times in the past, at least. (laughs) Okay, David. (laughs) And then Yolanda says the most ironic thing of all, which is that your vows are supposed to promise to be there through sickness and health, but I think in Beverly Hills, most men are happy to show off their beautiful wives and I just don't know if they stick around during times like this. She's saying it in a way of like, look at us, look at how good and how well we're doing. Baby, look at look at you and look at how bad you're doing. How, how is that working out for you? Oh my God. Has Catherine McPhee watched any of the Yolanda era of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? Do you think she has? Or do you think she was like, you know what? I'm going to ride this train and it's best for me to just like tunnel vision this and keep my eyes on the prize. That's got to be it, right? Like there's no way. There's no way. Watching him in season three, because I'm kind of doing like a lazy rewatch of season three on my own time. And their whole shtick is so disgusting. It is like they very clearly know that Yolanda has to maintain this role of super hot fit Dutch wife who you can come home from a session with, um, you know, David Archuleta or something. And she's got a pot roast cooking up in the oven and it'll be done in 15 minutes. Like he really loves that. And I actually don't think that's like the worst thing in the world. I think if you guys have an agree upon a relationship that isn't necessarily based in romance and like, that's your choice. What do I care? You know, but on the other hand, the way they navigate it is just like, he almost treats her like a, he not almost, he does treat her like a possession. He treats her like a prized pony. And also I don't know what Yolanda was thinking this season with her hair, but she's, holding on to these extensions, but also trying to do the like brushed back look. It's not good. It's not good. It's almost like an, like an eighties WWE wrestler. She really should have, somebody should have told her about that. Somebody should have. Anyway, then we get to Brandy's scene of the episode and now having watched Ultimate Girls Trip and really um, letting it sink in the level to which Brandy is broken and clearly did not have a foundational um, home life growing up, this was so telling. I was shook and shocked. Okay, so Brandy's got this new home, right? She hasn't quite moved in. She has her mom come over and her mom's Judy and give, gives her just a tour. I mean, her mom cannot help herself. I don't know if she knows that she doesn't like her daughter, but somebody should maybe tell her. Brandy definitely doesn't know, and it's extremely sad. So she's pointing out to one bedroom, and Brandy says, oh, this is going to be where more babies will be. And her mom says, no, thanks. (laughs) And then when Brandy shows her the pool, she says something like, oh, I feel like I'm all grown up. And Judy says, well, one day you will be. Things with Brandy really started to pull into focus with me at that point. And it doesn't stop. 
Then they sit down. Brandy makes an offhanded comment about, oh, I need a drink. And she pulls out a bottle of wine. (laughs) And her mom says, what's new? And then Judy looks at the bottle and the bottle's called chaos. And she goes, wow, that really sounds a lot like your life. What makes it even worse is that Brandy says immediately after all of this in a confessional that her mom is her rock. She would do anything for her. She's wanting to be rich specifically so that she can treat her mother and, you know, bankroll her lifestyle. So then we get back to their conversation and Brandy's like, you know, I'm going to start sending you and dad checks and I don't want you to like fight me on this. I want you to cash them. This is what I want to do for you. And her mom says, you know what? You're kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. Okay. Judy needs to be sent to a mid-grade nursing home. You know? The kind that... I'm joking, you guys. The kind that, you know, maybe they don't turn you every half hour. And occasionally you get a bed sore. Just occasionally. Um, You know, maybe they're not great when you press the button. Judy is a monster and Brandy has Stockholm syndrome. She thinks that this is love. Your mama just said that you shouldn't have any more kids, that you're not grown up, that you're an alcoholic, and that your life is in chaos. And you want to continue to grind to give her money. And when you offer to give her money, she calls you a pain in the ass. <laughs> I don't think my mom has ever called me a pain in the ass. Not to my face. (laughs) Not to my face. Ooh, I can't imagine this. And then it gets even worse. We find out that Brandy is kind of on the outs with her father because she had recently gone to the Oscars or an Oscar party. She wore this dress that was like, kind of Jessica Rabbit-like. Like, it really showed off the boobs. They showed a picture of it. I didn't think it was like that crazy, but I guess the point is that Brandy had gotten uh, her tits done and her dad was upset about her wearing the dress and told her that he liked her better before she got the boobs done. What? What? (laughs) I, okay. So I have not watched Brandy's season of, uh, family rehab or whatever that show she was on with her dad, but Liz Bentley of Feathers in My Hair and many others have have watched it and have said that uh, something is very strange in Denmark with Brandy and her father and their relationship and it's giving flowers in the attic. I can't go there, but that is such a weird thing to say or think about your daughter That's like something an abusive boyfriend says. Like, I liked you better before you got your tits done. What? Why would your dad even think about that? And why would, like, that be... Like, if he didn't like what she wore because he's protective of his little girl, that's one thing. But you just made it all about her tits. That's weird, bro. That's really fucking weird. And I gotta move on. So we see Yolanda again. When we see her again, a a moment that will live in infamy... She's post-surgery. Everything went well. David tells her that Gigi called her him while she was in surgery and that she wasn't feeling well. She was afraid to get on the horse. She's feeling weak because she was on a juice cleanse. 
so they get Gigi on speakerphone and Gigi's like, you know, I don't feel good. I'm feeling really weak. I had half an almond. And Yolanda's response is, you know what, baby? Take a couple almonds and chew them really well. And then Gigi says, I'm scared. And Yolanda's like, okay, baby, love you. Bye. (laughs) Like, I know she just got out of surgery and she might be a little bit worse for wear, but uh, a couple of almonds and chew them really well. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know, when it comes to everyone's business, I like to mention it all. But when it comes to mine, I like to keep things a little bit closer to the chest. But that method doesn't always work when it comes to your mental health. And we all need a way to purge and get it out. Therapy is a safe space to do that and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down by learning positive coping skills and all the tools you need to help you be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you can just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash everyone's business today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash everyone's business. One day we're going to really have to talk about Yolanda. We're going to have to have a real conversation. We're going to have to have a conversation about that letter. Here's one thing about me is I am always at the ready to read that letter that Yolanda wrote to Bella um, when she had to pick up her car after Bella got a DUI. Um, I've read it on the show before. I am pinching myself under the leg right now to not read it again. I would encourage you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, to look into it. And that's all I'm going to say about that. We're going to have to move on. So then we get to Dancing with the Stars. Lisa 
is doing the Viennese waltz. Everything is going well. It's kind of a throwaway scene. Kyle's there. Brandy's there. Uh, Taylor's there. They end up going out to dinner with Gleb afterwards. And the only reason I want to talk about this scene is because when they go out to dinner afterwards, like the, they are giving Lisa all the attention she wants. I have truly never seen Lisa more happy. And I know she tries to like, you know, cry all over that situation with Pandora and how much she loves her daughter and, um, her, the husband and the wedding. And, you know, I'm wearing a crown to the wedding, all of that. We've seen these moments. I swear to you, I've never seen true joy out of Lisa more than in this scene because she's holding court. She's still wearing the crown that she was wearing on dancing with the stars earlier. (laughs) People are asking her questions. They're talking to Gleb about his process and the whole thing. And they're just gushing over her. And it's like, she's so happy. She really, she's really a piece of work. I, I love it. I really, really do. Um, So what happens after this? Okay, Uh, Kyle then invites Joyce and Carlton over because she doesn't have any other friends on the cast. Let's be real. Um, Carlton tells a story about how she had a hard time leaving that day because her son had seen their family cat uh, catch a bird in the yard and he was feeling some type of way about that. Kyle interrupts her immediately and was like, I'm going to get some wine. I'll be right back. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And so that's strike one. That's strike one for Carlton against Kyle. Strike two, we're about three minutes into her being at, at Kyle's house, by the way. And and she's already pissed Carlton off. They sit down for lunch and, you know, they're just making girl talk and stuff. And Kyle notices a bee and screams that she and Joyce are allergic to bees. And so she asks her other friend who is there to kill the bee. The lady smashes it on one of those like tea light holders and... Carlton, big strike two. She's like, why wouldn't you just let me uh, usher it away? And Kyle's like, I will die. If I get stung by a bee, I will die. Okay? I will die. But then she's like laughing in a, in a confessional. She's not going to die, girl. You just don't like bees. So meanwhile, Brandy goes over to Lisa's house with Yolanda. And I think this might be the first time I ever heard about Casamigos because let's walk through this. George Clooney sent Brandy Glanville a swag bag promo box of Casamigos in order to promote it on the show. That doesn't sound right. Like in the hierarchy of celebrity, that just doesn't sound right. Right. But anyway, I think that's the first time I heard about Casamigos. So they're all talking shit like cash shit about Kyle. And they're talking about how basically they're like, very passive aggressive, very white woman shade. Like, you know, I kind of feel sorry for her because all of her friends are gone and, you know, she doesn't really have anybody and she's all alone. And that's so sad. Don't you think like Taylor's gone, Adrian's gone and she really leaned on her for support. And then Lisa drops the bomb. Something that I think about to this day, she goes, she and Adrian were really surface friends. Like she needed her for a listing. And she also had the listing on Taylor's house when she uh, sold her home to move to Colorado. So she basically calls bullshit on Kyle's relationships with both of them. And is like, this is completely transactional. This is completely something that is helping them line their own pockets. And I'm just going to say it. Love it. 
Then Lisa says the most ice cold thing in a confessional. She goes, you know, I do feel sorry for Kyle because she's lost this major support group she had and Taylor and Adrian and, oh gosh, this is too bitchy for me to say, but I'm glad I said it. I'm awfully glad I did. <laughs> and so then uh, Yolanda, Brandy and Lisa are all laughing because they're like, oh, it's probably really hard for her that the houses are sold. Oh, God. The only scene that, well, the only solo scene we get with Kim is with the training session with Kingsley. Oh, God. As somebody who works with animals, I found this to be uh, very interesting. So the guy comes over, David comes over to help her. And... His method of training, I'm not a trainer, but I have worked closely with trainers and I've seen what they do. I've never seen shit like this. Um, his method of training just seems to be nudge the dog with your knee a little bit or excessively or grab the back of its neck to get it to comply or sit or whatever. Um, usually... You don't have to be that forceful with dogs. You should not have to be that forceful with dogs in order to, like, get them to comply. You definitely shouldn't have to do that. Like, you should have to, like, his methods seem to be kind of seasonal on I'm the wolf pack leader. Where You can have a chill relationship with a dog. It doesn't have to be this, like, power dynamic. You don't have to force them into, uh, you know, compliance you can have a playful relationship with your dog and they can pay attention to you. Even if they're dogs that are adopted and need to be rehabbed and are aggressive and have gone through shit. Like you don't have to do all this in my opinion. The other thing that would be helpful is it like when you do do a physical um, compliance check or whatever they call it, submissive notice to the dog, you should maybe teach them first before you just keep nudging them with the knee and expecting them to know what that means. Like if you don't teach them that that means sit, you're just going to keep nudging them and they're not going to get it. They're just going to know that you're nudging them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have to start with step one and teach them what hap what they're supposed to do. And that didn't seem to be happening. So, uh, I mean, we all know what happened to Kingsley. RIP. The episode ends with the most stunt queen hilarious behavior when Kim and Kyle are in when they like each other and they're in cahoots against somebody else. It's really a fun time for me. So this is such a setup like they knew what they were doing. They knew exactly like production made them film the scene and they really showed out. This is the best acting I've seen out of Kyle on the show. Um and it was really like like walking, watching two um, legends at work. So Kim goes over to Kyle's house to watch the latest episode of Dancing with the Stars. She just happened to have it saved and they were going to watch it together, right? Um, so they get to Lisa's clip package, which if you haven't seen Dancing with the Stars, they usually before the performance will, you know, talk about the highs and lows of rehearsal that week. Like, oh, I couldn't get this step or oh, things are going really well, blah, blah, you know, bullshit clip package right so they're showing that clip package and lisa faints during the rehearsal and it is the prettiest slowest faint the most dramatic faint that you've ever seen kim is staring with her jaw dropped open a total meme moment she's looking at the screen like what is going on 
Kyle decides to rewind it, watch it back in slow motion. Kim starts laughing. She's like, wait a minute. Lisa's holding on to Gleb's hand the entire time that she's going down. That doesn't happen. So Kim says, I think she just didn't want to do it. Like, I, I think she just didn't want to be on the show anymore. And at that point, Kim and Kyle start acting like fake sports casters. They're going through uh, every point, every uh, pixel in that video. <laughs> And they're like, okay, well, when you wake up from a faint, you're not, you're usually like startled. Whereas look at Lisa in this moment, in this moment, she's slowly opening her eyes and just kind of looking at him. And then she looks over at the camera and tells, you know, like cut the cameras dead ass in her own way. And it's just, it's giving fake. And then Kim says, listen, I've fainted on camera and I've fainted in real life. And listen, um, you know what? Some people aren't really cut out for fake faints. <laughs> uh, it's so, so funny. They're having so much fun with them. They're getting up and recreating it. Uh, Kyle is Gleb, Lisa, or Kim is Lisa. And Kim is like, they're doing an actor's workshop where Kim's trying to get them into the moment. She's like, okay, in this moment, I'm scared and I want to go home, but I don't know how to tell you. And then I'm just getting so tired. Oh no. And then she falls on the ground with her hand on her forehead. <laughs> it's so good. When Kim is good, she is top tier. And that's something that we all need to think about. Shout out to Kim Richards. Let's move on to number two. Candy. Huh? How's candy coat at nights going? <laughs> It's going well. Did your mom hear this and she listened to your show? My mom has been on the show a couple times. Oh, so. Joyce, you're on there? What'd you talk about? Let's we talk talked about, about dildos. Matter of fact, that's that whole vision, the thought of my mom using a dildo just takes me to, honey, I need to go to the psychiatric ward. Coming up at number two, I have The Real Housewives of Atlanta, season three, episode five, Hot Mama's Day. Again, much like Beverly Hills, is this the most explosive? No. However, I do, it's kind of great to sort of look back on an episode where every housewife is in a completely different place now than they were during that time. And man, this really showed out for me. Um, Nini just got her nose done. Phaedra is, you know, heavily or not so heavily pregnant, depending on who she's talking to. More on that later. Kim has Sweetie as her assistant and significantly better wigs. So we're not quite with Croy at this point. Um, we're sort of phasing out a big papa, if you will. Um, Kim and Sweetie go over to Candy's studio to film an episode of Candy Coded Nights. Remember that? She called it a webcast. When was the last time you heard that term? Um, walking up, as they're walking up, Kim and Sweetie are like, Kim's asking Sweetie, what kind of show is this? Like, is this on the internet? How many people watch this? And Sweetie's like, I don't know. I thought this was on PBS. 
And Kibbs looks at her and says, you think Candy's sex show is on PBS, sweetie? Oh, sweetie. Um, Candy says that people just come to her for no reason to ask all about sex advice. And so she decided to come up with Candy Coded Nights to uh, really address it. Cash, capitalize on it. Let's be real. Because, you know, I've never missed a bag or a beat. And that she's right about that. She's absolutely right. So Candy describes herself as a mix of Sue Johansson, Dr. Ruth, Howard Stern, and The View. They start the show. Candy tells Kim that last week they were talking about a new term that they had just heard about called beef curtains. Now, much like you, I think when we hear that term beef curtains, we think think about a certain uh reality star and that evokes a lot of memories gosh can we just talk now nah, i don't want to talk about spencer pratt i'm, I'm moving on i cannot do it <laughs> so the topic of the week for candy coated nights it sorry candy coated nights is cheating and when one of the co-hosts asks kim have you ever cheated on anybody candy says girl you know she has <laughs> so kim looks at her and says have I? What do you mean? And Candy's like, well, you're in a relationship with a dude who's married. So you're in a situation in which somebody's cheating. And Kim looks at her and goes, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it depends on how you think about it. Maybe on paper, it does look like cheating, but I'm not the one who's married. Kim says in a confessional that she really doesn't think what's going on between she and Big Papa is cheating because... If he wanted to be with his family, he would be. But they live in Los Angeles and he lives in Atlanta. So that's it. So Nene and Cynthia meet up at the doctor's office to reveal that Nene has procured herself a new nose. Which, even though everybody in this episode says that they don't like the nose and that they wish she hadn't changed it, I think I do like it and i feel like she may have gotten another um contouring as she call it done after that and i wish she had just stuck to the one nose job much like vicky nini has had a couple of tweaks um we've got a tummy tuck we've got a breast lift and the nose job excuse me the nose contouring and she's really living her best life nini says I got all these surgeries done. I'm proud of it. If I want to get more surgery in the future, I will. I might even get a penis enlargement. Who knows? Nene and Greg at this point are not great. They're having issues. Nene is really on the brink of divorce with him. And that starts to freak Cynthia out because she's thinking about her own marriage. Now, this is what it means when they say pretty privilege. Let's just keep things into perspective here. Um, Cynthia's not even engaged to Peter at this point, and yet she's thinking deeply about their upcoming nuptials, their honeymoon, all of that. This is her entire storyline this episode. Not even a ring on her finger, and yet she is worried about wedding planning. <laughs> okay. Um, then we see Sheree go on a date with a man who purports himself to be a doctor, although... I think later we may have found out that this was a very dubious online school in which this gentleman got his uh, doctorate from. But Dr. Tai, do we remember him? Dr. T-I-Y-E. Um, 
I spell it out because I feel like that's probably not a name. I feel like it's a name that he came up with and therefore that's this man. This man, he is a man who has a clearly very strange relationship with his hairline. He seems to think that he's some sort of relationship expert because he and Sheree met at a uh, love and relationship seminar the episode before. So this is now their second date that they're preparing for. Um, Sheree tells us that Dr. Tai told her that he was bi-coastal, but... This date is not going to be at the five-star restaurant of Sheree's dreams. It's actually going to be at Dr. Tai's friend's apartment. So now Sheree's thinking, hmm, he says he's bicoastal, but I have a feeling that he might not have a home in Atlanta. I'm like, okay, Sheree, let's expand on that. Maybe, do we think that he might not have a home at all? Have we, has that entered the chat at all? Let's think about this, Sheree. So Sheree's older daughter and her boyfriend come over to watch Cairo while she's on the date. And she's telling them that during that seminar, he asked everybody, do you marry for love or do you marry for marriage? And Sheree said, it's 50-50 for her. And she tells her daughter and the boyfriend, I actually think it might be more like 70-30 for me, but I just felt like I probably shouldn't have told him that. Lord, Phaedra has another iconic moment. One of two in a single episode that Phaedra parks. I, you know, it makes sense why the executives want Phaedra back so bad. Two memorable moments with Phaedra in this 40 minute span. The first one being that she and Apollo have planned a pregnancy photo shoot for her first son. We now know Mr. President. Um, Phaedra tells the photographer whose name is spark St. Jude, by the way, she tells spark that, um, she saw something online about a, like a pregnancy pickle photo shoot. And even though she hasn't had the cravings herself, she thought it might be cute. So they kick it on to the back, uh, porch and decide to do like Phaedra sitting on the top step. And she's got this gigantic gallon glass jar of, huge pickles and they engage in such a fun passive aggressive conversation it really made me chuckle phaedra you know spark is trying to do her job she's trying to be a professional so she's telling phaedra hey like i need certain angles angle the pickle this way towards the camera put your mouth on it and phaedra says you know i think this is turning into a different kind of photo shoot and spark says well this was your idea (laughs) Okay, maybe you should have thought about um, how many giant pickles were going to go into your mouth before you got on, you know, before you did your hair and makeup. Should have thought about that concept, girl. You saw it. This was like, I'm with Spark. Hashtag I'm with Spark. This was your idea. Then Apollo gets in on the fun. He's sucking on a pickle. She's sucking on a pickle. They're doing Lady in the Tramp style pickle sucking together. And, you know. A whole self-suck is happening. I I had to get the joke in. Sorry. After the shoot is done, we see the results in a whole, like, montage of photos. Girl, Spark. I'm hopping off the Spark train again. I'm not with Spark. That photo shoot. I mean, the lighting, awful. 
she just says that she's a professional photographer because she has a Canon with a flash with the attached flash. That's it. Awful. I could have, I know I could have taken better photos on my uh, phone. Like even on my phone at the time, not even a 2022 one, just on the like, the, what was that? Like 2011, I could have taken it on, on an iPhone one and they would have been better than that. <laughs> so anyway, Sheree goes on her date. If you could even call it that is the most horny and horrifying date that I've ever seen in housewives history. Dr. Dai opens the doors of his friend's apartment and he's like, Oh, you know, I left you some work to do. <laughs> and Sheree's done immediately. So she looks at him. He's like, I just didn't want you to feel left out. And she goes, Oh, I wouldn't have felt left out. Not at all. I don't, I don't know why you did this. So then he makes her chop up some strawberries and Sheree says that she's not used to doing manual labor. <laughs> and then ugh, this creepo, he goes, you know, once you're done with those strawberries, I got a, I got a reward for you. You want it? And he gets a singular grape and stuffs it in her mouth. And Sheree's like, Oh, one grape. Great. Great. Then he pulls out some cookie dough that he pre-made and he tries to get sexy with it. He's licking the dough off of her thumb and she's like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this. And then he goes, well, why don't you lick it off of my thumb? And she's like, oh, no, thank you. No, I think you should do it. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. Here, let me put some more cookie dough. He actually scoops out more cookie dough and puts it on his thumb and just piles. First of all, salmonella. Salmonella. He piles the cookie dough on his ugh, his thumb and is like, no, I want you to lick it off of me. Yuck. It gets to the point where like they're in a like a tete-a-tete. Like she keeps backing up further and further. He keeps putting her thumb, his thumb closer to her mouth. And at one point she just swats the hand out of her face. I'm like, thank you. Stranger danger, Dr. Taiyi. Like you... If the moment isn't happening, then let it go. Let it go. Don't pile. This is a problem with men. Is that they just don't need to, They don't know when the moment has not even started. Okay? She doesn't want this. And yet here you go, putting more cookie dough on your dirty thumb and insisting that she do it. And that's the problem. That's the problem. And this man is running relationship seminars, acting as an expert with his dubious online doctorate degree. That is the problem. This is why we are where we are. <laughs> Simply because of Dr. Taiyi in this cookie dough moment. So they finally sit down for their dinner. Dr. Taiyi says that he's a vegetarian. He's talking about his journey and he says, well, you know, I've been a vegetarian for about 13 years and a lot of people say that vegetables make you thin, but I'm thinking about going into like a bodybuilding competition because I'm swole. <laughs> and Sheree looks at him and goes, mm, you're really not. <laughs> and he goes, all right, well, let me take my shirt off. Actually, why don't you take your my shirt off for me? Ugh. So now we have to have this moment. First of all, the man only had uh, three buttons buttoned anyway. We could see... Three quarters of your areola. We already got the point, but she takes it off. This, he's looking at her like, this is the sexiest moment of my life. 
we are in the middle of a romance novel and she is at this point just like wanting to play games like okay idiot um you want to take your shirt off on camera let's do it i'll i will help you let's get into it so he takes the shirt or she takes his shirt off and it's like fine we could see we could see some protrusions of an ab there's there's a whisper of an ab happening there and sherry says you know it was better than i thought he doesn't have a belly which is good because i'm not doing bellies anymore (laughs) so then they get back to the conversation that they had when they met about love and money and sheree decides you know i'm going to be a little bit more honest and change my answer from 50 50 to 65 35 and dr tai says well what if mine is the opposite what if i'm like 35 percent money 65 percent love how do we come together and sheree says are you just trying to say that you're broke (laughs) Because you can just say that. (laughs) He really tries to wiggle out of it, but we all know the answer to that is yes. Let's be real. Um, Then he ends this horrific date by asking her to toast to his lips touching her lips. Like, how does he not hear this shit and think, wouldn't this make a woman dry right on up? I would be I would just be like, you know what? I would have dunked the rest of that red wine on my head and been like, I gotta go. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I It's not worth it. Uh, he basically like begs her to kiss him and she just does it to get out of it. Horrible. Horrible. I feel like later they end up getting into some fight where he like tries to dog her out and I don't think it worked for him. I don't think it's working for him now. Anyway, Candy is trying to deal with the fact that Riley doesn't really like her daddy. Her ain't shit daddy. That really was all the the storyline we got out of Candy this week. Um, (laughs) Although Riley's very funny. She's seven. She really wants to uh, get into a singing career. So she has practiced the lines to her own mother's song, Fly Above. You know, the, I fly above all the drama. One of the funniest moments of the Real Housewives universe is uh, Kim's wedding spinoff in which at the end of the wedding, because remember they had the wedding at her house and they wouldn't let anybody uh, use the restrooms and doors. They got all these porta potties set up. But Kim's mom insisted that she use the bathroom and they get into a fight and so Kim ends up kicking her mom out of her wedding and then immediately after that Candy does a performance of I Fly Above All the Drama as her mother is in the driveway screaming about how ungrateful her daughter is it is so poetic I highly encourage you watch it actually I recapped it on um, my Patreon you can check it out patreon.com slash ebbm podcast let's move on um, Cynthia and Nini end up going, uh, lingerie shopping because like I said, Cynthia's delusional. She's like, I need to go shopping for honeymoon looks now. Again, not even engaged, not even engaged. You don't even have a venue. <laughs> There's no reason. Remember her mom and sister like really thought about hiding the marriage license. <laughs> Iconic. Um, the, the really only thing from the scene is that Cynthia uh, introduces the, the Mother's Day brunch, which, oh, what a disaster. So Kim, of course, 
is like, oh, one of my daughters is sick. I can't go at the very last minute. And Cynthia warns Peter, hey, you know that Nene and Greg are going through some drama right now. So like, don't bring anything up. And he's like, yeah, this is none of my business, whatever. Um, Phaedra arrives without Apollo. He's coming later. And then we get a flashback to Phaedra and Peter meeting in which Phaedra's talking about her relationship with Apollo and how she was like so grateful that Apollo didn't have any kids because she wanted, she prayed for a clean man. She prayed to God for a clean man, meaning a man who didn't have any other children. And then Peter looks at her and tells her that he has five kids. And she's like, well, I just meant, you know, for me, you, you know, because... And then she looks over at Candy. She's like, I just didn't want to have to deal with all those baby mamas. Candy, you know how that feels. (laughs) Oh, my God. So then all the ladies sit down for brunch. And this is like a scene of a lifetime. First of all, Candy's like looking at Nene because she's like, she got her nose job done. Nobody's talking about this. Why am I the only one? He's looking at her. And so Sheree, ever the bone collector, is like, Bitch, I haven't seen you since you got your surgery done. What did you do? So she's like, oh, you know, I got my tummy tuck. I got my boobs lifted. And they're like, um, mm-hmm. Uh, anything else? <laughs> she's like, well, I did get my nose contoured. Thank you very much. And so Sheree's like, okay, well, if you like it, I love it. Bye. So then <laughs> Sheree says in the confessional, listen, I probably wouldn't have gotten the nose job, job done if I were Nini, but... Who am I to come between a girl and her nose? (laughs) And then (laughs) Sheree goes to Phaedra and says, when is your due date? And Phaedra goes, girl, it's supposed to be July, but this baby fitting to come up out of here. So Sheree says, July? I thought you were only five months pregnant. Phaedra tells them that her due date is either July 26th or August 1st. And Mama Joyce was like, okay, I thought it was dangerous to have a baby at six or seven months. But Phaedra's like, no, I mean, not if the lungs are fully formed. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So then Nene says, I have never heard of a doctor who did that. Like, bitch, you don't know when you got knocked up. There's one thing I can do, and that's add. And what Phaedra's saying is not adding up. So then... (laughs) Phaedra tells them that she's going to be delivering at 34 weeks and that the baby was sitting on her bladder and that caused a lot of bleeding a couple weeks ago. And so the lungs are fully formed and they're going to give, she's going to give birth six weeks early on purpose. <laughs> so Nene, this is probably one of my favorite confessionals from Nene. She just goes, shut up. That is so stupid. <laughs> Look, I know chicks from the hood, honey, who don't even know that they were pregnant, but they know how far along they are. Either this is not his baby or she got pregnant before she got married. Okay? (laughs) So then Phaedra tells the table, I need to ask you guys for advice because I don't know anything about babies. And Nene says, you should keep him in there until he's ready to come out. Phaedra says, what? She goes, I know that you should keep him in there (laughs) until he's ready to come out. Why did Phaedra let herself go down so bad like that? Nene says, I know that lawyers are supposed to be good liars, but 
she had all the time in the world. She couldn't come up with a better excuse than this. This is what we get. <laughs> Phaedra or somebody is able to switch the subjects to candy coated nights and whether or not Mama Joyce agrees of the webcast. And Candy's like, she's actually been on the show for a couple, like a couple times. One time they were talking about dildos. And so Nini says in a confessional, the thought, the thought of my mom using a dildo. Like, send me to the psychiatric ward right now. (laughs) And then Sheree, out of nowhere, asks Candy if she bought her mother a dildo for Mother's Day. (laughs) Nobody said that, girl. (laughs) Then Candy starts doling out advice, which I feel like would make uh, OBGYN want to yeet themselves off a bridge. She's telling the ladies to uh, put pop rocks in your mouth before you give oral to uh, wet your finger and dip it in sugar and then stick it in your vajayjay. Remember when we said vajayjay? Oh Lord. And then Phaedra's like, Oh yeah, um, you should. And also you should use powdered sugar instead of granule sugar. Cause it creates like a different sort of stickiness inside. Is that what, Is that what they want? People with penises. Do you want it to feel sticky? Sticky? I've never heard that. I've never heard that term used in reference to that in a positive way. Or really at all. I don't think that's true. I don't. I don't. I can't. I don't have the capability to think that like powdered sugar in your pussy is ideal. I've never heard of, if that was true, there would be a song called powdered sugar pussy and there isn't. Let me check Spotify real quick. Okay. Well, color me corrected. I stand corrected. There is a song um, by a gentleman called Chad heft called powdered sugar pussy. And you can listen to the live version on Spotify. So I guess I have to uh, correct myself, but Nini much like Mia is not into it. She fakes throwing up in a confessional and says, listen, I would never put Kool-Aid, candy yams, a peppermint candy, pancake syrup. None of those things are going in my vajayjay. That's crazy. (laughs) Apollo arrives and does a so performative thing of presenting Phaedra with a Gucci diaper bag in front of everybody. And Sheree is like, I feel like this is a little tacky. Like you didn't see her before you left work. (laughs) I'm with you, girl. Then they start to talk about sex. Peter and Apollo are there. They're all talking about sex. And uh, Nini's saying that she doesn't really like to do too much in the bedroom. She's pretty low-key. And Peter forgets all about that conversation he had with Cynthia earlier and says, oh, well, that's probably why you're having problems in your relationship now. That's probably why shit's going down with you now. (laughs) Jeez. Jeez, jeez, jeez. He ends up leaving. Thank God. He and Apollo end up leaving. And Nini confides in the rest of the women about how she's scared in a way to leave Greg and to file for divorce and be dependent, independent of him. Uh, Nini lost her mom when she was in her forties and is in her forties herself. And she's like, you know, in these moments, I really would like to have my mother's opinion and input. So 
thank God for Mama Joyce. One of the few times where she's not like throwing shoes at people or calling people broke bitches or asking for something and actually just being nice to somebody. She decides to act as a de facto mother to Nini and tells her, listen, I'm not telling you to get a divorce, but I'm telling you based on my experience, if I could go back 20 years in time, I know I would do things differently. I would have left and I wouldn't have wasted all this time. So Candy reminds us that Mama Joyce is technically married, but she at this point had been separated from her Candy's stepdad since Candy was in sixth grade. So Candy's got to be in her 30s at this point, right? Candy says that it's been a real issue. Like if anybody knows what she's talking about is Mama's Joyce because yeah, they're separated and she dates, but she only lets the relationship go so far because technically she's still married. So she's like, yeah, I, I know that I wasted my time. I know that I would do things differently. And again, you got to do what's best for you, but you only have one life to live. And then they have this really nice moment and Mama Joyce gets up and hugs her and it was just really nice. And so, yeah, that is my pick for The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Let's move on to number one. Wait, hold on, let, just close your eyes. Let me finish. Close your eyes. Let me finish and then I'll close my no, eyes. No, close your eyes first and I'll make talk. you a deal. Let, okay, all right. Close your eyes. close my eyes and talk, okay? Okay, good. I hope. Open your eyes. I had, what? wait. Mm. All right, guys, this is my official final entry. The Real Housewives of New York City, season four, episode 10, Last Call, Morocco. This was an extra long episode, actually, and it was the third part of the Ladies Morocco trip, which you guys know that I've been saying recently is my preferred New York trip. Scary Island obviously is iconic, but for me, Morocco has always had a special place in my heart. Um, let's catch you up on what's happening here. This is a Cindy Bar Shop one and done season. Um, we have uh, a different Sonia that I think we've ever really seen before or since. Um, I was listening to Come Through Queen and they actually just recently recapped or posted a recap of the Marriage Equality episode, which was a few episodes, I think it was episode three of season four, but uh, they had mentioned that this was a year where Sonia was actually kind of mean. Generally speaking, Sonia, I feel is one of our nicer housewives. Generally, she doesn't like go to below the belt. She's not like really trying to get into it with people. Um, but this is one season where she really was sort of, Ooh, snotty, very snotty. And remember she told Cindy that there was a pecking order and I believe it was something that had to do with Ramona. Like Ramona requires, Oh, <laughs> I believe this was because Cindy had an event or a get together or something. And she didn't have Pinot Grigio for Ramona. And so Sonia had this conversation in which everybody knows that where Ramona goes, Pinot Grigio has to follow. And so there's a pecking order and you need to adhere to it. Just really kind of like nasty stuff that we don't typically see from Ramona or Sonia rather. So 
Um, but the episode before, Jill and Ramona had gotten into a fight, uh, which left Ramona crying, uh, doing some good core work on her bed. And Sonia and Cindy are not getting along. Luann and Jacques are now together, and their matching haircuts are just two smitten kittens. And this is also the season of Alex's activation. She has decided not to be the quiet girl, and she's decided to make a stand for herself come hell or high water, and the results are absolutely hilarious. Um, The thing that really has been fucking me up lately is that this season, Alex is 36 36 didn't like watching this at the time didn't she read so much older simon definitely reads as knocking on 60s door frankly 36 years old like how young i can't even imagine it um So the episode begins with Jill. She's pacing back and forth in a gray snakeskin caftan while Luann and Cindy are trying to comfort her. This whole episode is like truly two sides, like West Side Story shit. The sharks are the jets. And it's so, so funny. Kelly is also there to comfort, really. But we also know that Kelly doesn't really operate in the realm of normal human emotion so she's just kind of standing there meanwhile ramona is in another room she's being comforted by alex and sonia so luann ends up walking into this room with sonia alex ramona right and (laughs) she's trying to figure out what the hell happened with this fight between ramona and jill but alex has basically ramona in a headlock in some sort of comfort headlock. And she's begging Luann to just, please, is there any Pinot Grigio in this Riyadh? Is there anything at all? Please, please, Ramona needs it or she will have a literal panic attack. So Luann takes the, I don't know, three steps over to the bar (laughs) to open up a bottle of wine. And as they're doing, as she's doing that, Ramona... Sonia and Luann are trying to strategize how to kick Luann out of the room because Ramona's just too upset to deal with this, right? And so Sonia tries to get her out of the room. She's like, why don't we go to the kitchen to open that bottle of wine? And Luann's like, I'm not doing that. I will just stand right here. So then Alex takes the lead and she finally is just like, you know, I really feel like Ramona needs a minute because she just feels like she's been hit by a truck right now. So then Alex says in a confessional that between the fights between Jill and Bethany last season and the fights going on between Jill and Ramona this season, Luann is treating these friendship fights like she's sitting in an arena waiting for the Christians to be fed to the lions. (laughs) One of the charming things about Alex McCord is that she says shit like this. Like, Nobody's talking about ancient, like, Roman history in their confessionals. Nobody does that. That's an Alex McCord signature. (laughs) The other... There are so many little moments in this episode that really crack me up. The first one being that as everybody's trying to calm Ramona down, Sonia has been sipping out of this tall glass of what looks like water. So... Ramona grabs a glass from Sonia's like, is this water? Like, I just need a sip. Sonia grabs it back from her and she goes, not really. Not exactly. (laughs) 
So Sonia's been low-key sipping from a tall glass of vodka, room temperature, Morocco temperature vodka all night. So that's where we're what we're dealing with at this point. This is the level that we're that we're operating on. Um, then finally Kelly comes in and is like, I'm not taking sides, okay? So we have reservations. Sonia made reservations to this restaurant. Let's just go, have fun, act like nothing happened, fine. And Sonia's like, you know what? I actually think that's a great idea. It's so hard to get a reservation there. Let's just do it. So they end up going, and this is where Sonia slips into her uh, Lindsay Lohan, white woman gone international accent, and she's, you know, belle of the ball, Mrs. Morgan in this moment. Like, we're only a few years out from her living the good life. It's not the, uh, you know, Grey Gardens, Carol-style remembrances that we have today. Uh, so she's like talking about, you know, this is such an exclusive restaurant. We have the best seat in the house because it's, you know, everybody can see you, but nobody can approach. Nobody can approach you. Like, girl, you're not Diddy. You're not on Diddy's yacht. Okay. John John's dead. We're not doing this with you. After that, the next day, a lady, the ladies go, some of the ladies go to tour a palace. Ramona couldn't possibly go because she's emotionally exhausted. By the way, um, Ramona had also just found out that uh, last episode during a fortune teller, hand reader, whatever person, that Mario was cheating. So we also need to keep this in mind when we see Ramona moping talking about how she can't deal with things, not wanting to film and instead hide in her room. Like that's how you really know Ramona's down bad is when she doesn't want to be in front of the camera. She had an opportunity to film over at that palace and chose not to. Bad. This is a bad situation. Jill Zarin is in classic Jill Zarin mode. They have a tour guide for this palace and she's asking 20 questions a second. Uh, what is this tile made of? What is this made of? What are the walls made of? Is this, is there an artist uh, attached to this, this building? What's this deal with all the wives? Oh, there's one per month. Oh, so you know, if like, do, do they know if they get like the second Thursday of the month or the first Friday of the month? Oh, okay. That's not bad. I would sign up for that. I would sign up for that. When they get back, Alex and Ramona have this red table talk moment where Alex is really looking at Ramona, touching her leg. Are you okay? I understand you. I hear you. And I feel you, sister. And Ramona's talking about how upset she was about the fight with Jill and how drained she's been and how she thinks that maybe going and resting instead of going to the palace was actually worse for her emotions. And then they kind of turn their sights on Luann and how Luann's always to them trying to stick her nose in other people's business, dictate what's going on, how she can seem really charming one minute. And then she's like stabbing you in the back of the next. And Ramona asks Alex, can you just be my wingman for tonight? Like just be my support. And Alex is like, absolutely. And those are truly famous last words because you tell Alex to do something She's a jet. She's a jet of the sharks versus the jets. When when Alex is a jet, she's a jet all the way. And my God, she takes this role of uh, support and wingman so, so seriously. So later that night, Luann sets up a henna session for the ladies. So it's her team are down there and Luann, Cindy, Kelly. 
Cindy has really been the most neutral this entire episode. She's really just kind of following behind Luann, but not saying anything and just watching it all and being horrified. As we're getting their henna done, you can hear somebody like clomping down the hallway and Luann hears it. And she goes, what, who is that? A Buffalo? Is that a Buffalo coming down the stairs? All of a sudden, Alex comes flying out of the hallway. She tosses her shawl over her left shoulder and Luann asks her like, what's the matter? So Alex goes, Luann, I just need to have a word with you and you're done. And then she turns around and says, not okay. Not okay. (laughs) Cindy, Kelly and Luann call Alex back into the room And she's like breathless at this point. She's actively having to catch her breath before she speaks. And Alex is just like, you know what? Just, just do your thing. Like do your henna. And Luann says, I, you know, Luann, I would like to speak with you when you're finished. So Kelly tells Alex, if you just want to have a conversation, you can't just storm down here because it's weird. This looks weird. Alex, this is weird. You're being really weird right now. Doesn't look normal. (laughs) Re-enter. Telling Alex to leave and come back. <laughs> so Kelly is pissed off right now. She's like, it's just weird. It's all inauthentic. If you want to be real, you have to do it the right way. You can't be like that. You can't be acting. Be real. Be real. In a confessional, Alex says that these are really, Kelly says that these are the moments where Alex turns into Alexa. And she feels like she is, oh God, the Alexa's, she's, the robot's going to turn on. I can see it. Okay, I think I'm safe. Um, that Alex acts like robot. And that she thinks that she's back on stage at Northwestern. And she says, you know, I need to tell you something right now. Not tomorrow. Now. Now. So Luann tells Alex, there's nothing that you can not say in front of these women. There's like, what do you need to say to me that you can't say in front of the rest of these women, right? So Alex says, do you really want me to go there? And then she goes, I just feel like the way you've been wanting to take Ramona aside and have a talk. And Luann says, that's not really any of your business. You know, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Alex. You can go now. So then Alex says, I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you because you're upsetting me. So they're trying to get her to sit down, but she wants to stand up. And then Kelly tells her again (laughs) that, Alex, I want to hear what you have to say, but you need to stop being weird. So Alex tells Kelly, you can't just police my feelings. And then Kelly's like, but you're having an inauthentic moment and you're being crazy weird. So Alex turns back to Luann and says, I just need to get this off my chest. Ramona was so vulnerable last night after the whole conversation with Jill. However, last night when Ramona had been hit by a ton of bricks (laughs) and then Kelly and Luann just start busting out laughing even one of the henna ladies is just like open mouth laughing at alex (laughs) luann tells alex that she's been nothing but gracious to ramona during this trip so the conversation we're having is over alex calls luann a snake and luann says i will not stand here i'm enjoying my time with my guests okay go back to the cabinet you came out of you witch (laughs) and then she leaves the henna session so that leaves Kelly to tag in and she tells Alex that she's again, not being authentic. So Alex screaming about how Ramona asked her to protect her, but Kelly's like, yeah, that's not your place in life. So then Alex is like, okay, can I speak? And Kelly says, no, 
This is a trip of a lifetime and you're causing a casino. Okay. <laughs> so then Kelly leaves the henna session, but as she walks by Alex, she goes, shh, shh. Okay. And then we just hear her screaming. We don't see her. It's like a hot mic moment. I actually think she might be screaming to somebody in production. Um, but she's like, this is so stupid. Like you don't just get to come out here storming with your Afghan scarf for no fucking reason. Now my tattoo's ruined. And who's going to fix this? Santa? <laughs> now keep in mind, she just walked away from the lady who was doing her henna tattoo. And now she's acting like this is an impossible fix and nothing can possibly repair <laughs> this tattoo that she ruined because she walked up from the, walked away from the lady in the middle of the set session. Kelly Bensimone, ladies and gentlemen. Kelly Kaloran Bensimone. So Cindy, like I said, has been in a corner quietly watching all of this happen in horror. And she says in a confessional, she really feels bad for Alex because she just gets steamrolled every time she tries to express herself. And this is really a disaster. Sonia and Ramona have no idea what's going on because they've been in their room. Ramona's got her classic two curlers in her hair. They're getting ready, but they know that they're going to be uh, trying on these custom caftans that were brought and so they want to get in on the ground floor on this and pick the ones that they want. They want to pick the cute ones before the rest of the ladies, but they don't want the ladies to know. So they decide to sneak down to this room where the designer is setting up. And so we have this this situation where like they're, Ramona and Sonia are off doing a side mission while Kelly and Alex are screaming at each other. So... Kelly stops her ranting and raving session and goes back to Alex. And she's like, I really think you're being weird. You're not behaving normally. You ruined my tattoo over and over and over again. And Alex goes, I'm sorry about the tattoo. And she goes, it's not about the tattoo, Alex. It's about the whole thing. You know who needs you right now? Ramona, not my tattoo. <laughs> and Alex is like, uh, okay, okay. So... <laughs> At this point, Alex now has hives, red splotches all over her chest, her neck. They're creeping up to her face. She is really going through it. And she's going after Kelly. And she's like, you know, I was just having a genuine reaction to what I've been seeing. And I just feel really bad. She's got tears rolling down her face. And Kelly's just staring at her like, shh. Cover your shoulders. Calm down. Calm down. We're in Marrakesh. So then Kelly tells Alex to close her eyes. And Alex is like, I don't want to close my eyes. I just want to tell you what I have to tell you. She goes, no, you have to close your eyes and then you can say what you have to say. You, But I, I'm not going to talk to you unless you close your eyes. So Alex closes her eyes and she goes, I just want to say. And Kelly goes, open your eyes. Open your eyes. <laughs> so... Alex keeps her eyes closed because she clearly is confused as to whether or not they should be open or not. And then she opens them tears, more tears streaming down her face as she quietly tells Kelly just between Jill and Ramona and Luann's trying to chastise everybody. I, I just blew up. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. And Kelly looks at her and says, Alex, be quiet. You're not angry. You're sad. And Alex looks at her and goes, no, I'm angry. And she goes, no, no, you're sad. You're you're trying to create calm in a chaotic situation. But sometimes it's just better to observe and not participate, which actually is not bad advice. But you're also calling me weird and shushing me and telling me that I'm not feeling that thing that I'm very clearly telling you I'm feeling. So, you know, I think things get lost in translation with Kelly. I actually had a friend, uh, you know, tell me that she more often than not agreed with Kelly. And my initial reaction was, "Uh uh-oh. But then in watching uh, the seasons over, I'm like, okay, I... Kelly does make some points occasionally, but it gets lost in her calling people Al Sharpton and shoving gummy bears down her throat and laughing at people and shushing them. You know what I mean? So this isn't exactly a justice for Kelly Ben Simone situation. I just, uh, something to think about. Something you also might think about is hitting that follow button for Kelly Ben Simone on TikTok because, wow, this woman is doing, she's navigating that app in a way that, I don't even have the words for, honestly. Like, you really just have to see it to believe it. It's um, fascinating, truly. <laughs> so the side mission with Sonia and Ramona has been completed. They have um, managed to make it into that design room without anybody noticing, probably because uh, the rest of the ladies are all having their own meltdowns, and Cindy's in a corner getting her henna done still. So... They get into this room and Ramona is trying to, excuse me, Sonia is trying to tell the designer, we're like the short girls of the group. So, you know, maybe we need to look at the shorter options. And Ramona says, yeah, but I have really good breasts. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, of course, Ramona doesn't like the first option or the second or the third. And suddenly Jill comes out of nowhere as Alex and Kelly are talking still with the tightest little curls you ever did see, like tighter than Shirley Temple. It's like poodle boots. Okay. She says, can you guys see what they did to my hair? Did you see that? She says that the guy came out with a tight curler and she didn't think anything of it. There was no mirror in the room. So she was just doing her iPad, checking her emails. And when she came out, she looked like, I don't even know, like Honey Boo Boo in her pageant days. It just incredible. 
So because Jill is so wrapped up in her hair situation, which is really bad, she doesn't realize that she just walked up on Kelly and Alex fighting until a couple seconds in. So she's like, wait, what's going on? So Kelly's like, well, you know, Alex is trying to create calm in a chaotic situation and things just got out of control. So as Jill is trying to piece things together, you can actually see in the background (laughs) that Ramona and Sonia are running so that they don't notice that they're going back to their room. And so (laughs) Alex ends up um, finding Ramona a little after this conversation. They go back to the Ramona and Sonia's room and she tells them what happened. And Ramona says in a confessional, you know, I really appreciate it that Alex stands up for me, but I could tell by the hives on her neck that things clearly did not go well. (laughs) So then the ladies, most of the ladies all gather for dinner and they were supposed to have an eight o'clock reservation, right? Eight o'clock dinner. They're waiting for Ramona and Sonia. It's now 8.30. Luann is really getting activated. And we're getting... To me, there are so many different types of Luann. And that's why she's one of my most respected housewives. Because she really contains multitudes. We have, you know, actual Countess, still married Luann. The uh, introduce me to the driver is Mrs. Delaseps Luann, right? And then we have the post-divorce, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm with Jacques, but I'm still the Countess Luann. So there are bits of her where she's horrible, and then there's parts of her where she's quite fun and looser. And then we have Lou. Lou is, you know, I'm falling in the bushes. Lou, it's a... not really, Lou. It's, you know, be cool. Don't be all uncool, Lou. That's probably my favorite version. Um, and then we just have like uh, a cabaret Lou. Uh, the I'm the main character, Luann. And that's a new one. And I'm still working out how I feel about that. But there are so many Lou's, but the Lou that we're getting in this one is uh, class with the Countess Luann. I'm going to get into the protocol of the situation because now they're 30 minutes late. And she heard from one of the members of the staff that Ramona actually had called up to have their dinner served in the room. So she's really pissed. She's pissed because they didn't tell her. She's pissed because they're late. She's like, I, you know, if this was me, I would not have done it this way. I would have let the host know. She's appalled, okay? Kelly's basically over this whole situation. It's like, let him stay up there and and let Alex go up there too. Alex is being super weird. And Luann says, Alex is a really dark energy. She kind of reminds me of Dracula or a witch. <laughs> so Alex actually comes down. But now, like I said, we're 30 minutes late. Alex comes down and says that she was just doing emails and stuff. And Luann is like, well, you know, I think the kitchen is closed, but they had these salads on the table. And so Alex is like, okay, rolling with the punches. If this is all that's available to me, I'm fine with the salad. But Luann is still pissed at Alex from the henna situation. So she goes, you know what, Alex, I know you know better than this. And I'm not sure who has your ear. But I've organized this beautiful dinner, and you know better than to tell me that you're not showing up. And I know that about you, because you have an education. (laughs) So now Alex is very clear on the fact that Luann is still pissed at her from earlier. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to excuse myself, 
and I'm going to take my dinner up with me and my, and my wine. And then she's like, but you know what? I just want it to be clear that you're the one who started this. And then Kelly gets up and ushers Alex out of the dining room by the shoulders, shushing her along the way, closing the door on her. Alex is still talking. She's still trying to make her point. But Kelly's like, you know, no, I can't. I can't do this. (laughs) Goodbye. So after that point, Ramona and Sonia saunter into the dining room and they're like, hey, what's up? What are we eating? And Luann gives Ramona the stare down of a century. I can still picture it in my mind's eyes. Like, bitch, you must be joking. So <laughs> she's like, um, dinner's done. You guys already had your uh, dinner brought up to your room. We don't have any dinner for you. No room at the end. Goodbye. Ramona's like, Darling, that was a snack that I arranged, and I actually arranged it for everybody. A 5 p.m. snack of salad, because you didn't come up with anything, so I was going to do that hosting for you. Luann tells Ramona that this is not the Plaza Hotel. This is Morocco, and you don't just get to do whatever you want and order whenever you want. This is not how it works, darling. So Ramona leaves. And then Luann leaves because she's so pissed off. She's just like, I don't want to have the dinner. But then Ramona comes back with the salads that she ordered and plops them down on the table to prove that she ordered snacks for everybody to have up to her room so that they could have like a little siesta situation. (laughs) Kelly at that point is like, no. She makes uh, Ramona go to apologize to Luann. Luann's not trying to hear it. She's just insistent that everybody knew what time, even though Alex, Sonia, and Ramona said nobody told them that they had dinner at eight. So Ramona's really just trying to smooth things over in that very Ramona way. Like, I'm so sorry. I get it. I know I'm hugging you. (laughs) You know, I I get it. You know, whatever. And so she's like, okay, well, what time was the dinner? Eight? Oh, and then she looks at her watch. She goes, oh, it's 930. Mm, I guess that is kind of late. Oops. So then Luann tries to have like come to Jesus girlfriend moment with Ramona and be like, you know, Ramona, I'm not against you. And actually, I've really been feeling for you since the fortune teller said that shit about Mario. And Ramona's like, not trying to have this conversation at all, right? It's to the point where Ramona, Luann has Ramona's hand, but Ramona has like tried to run out of the room. So now Luann is actually being like, uh, like a, like a child on a leash, like having to like stop herself from being pulled by Ramona, who is like trying to yeet herself out of this room. She does not want to have this conversation about the fact that she clearly knows that Mario is cheating on her. But Ramona is so in denial. She says in a confessional that she feels like Luann is actually hopeful that what the psychic said was true so that she could feel better. But she doesn't think for one second that Luann would actually be there for her if she needed her. So, like I said, we're at the final day of of Morocco. The ladies are starting to pack up. Jill had borrowed something from Ramona before they got into their fight. So she uses, like, the returning these items as an excuse to have a one-on-one conversation. They make up, you know, and Jill spits some wisdom about how Bobby had told her that much like marriages, relationships between women are like a book. Sometimes you have good chapters and bad chapters. And she tells Ramona, I just want to get back to a good chapter with you. So they make up, everything's good. And we get to the last night. 
they're all going to have dinner. They're all going to dress up in these gorgeous cast hands. And Ramona decides to make everybody uh, get like a smoky eye look so that they can all match because she says, I want everybody to channel the Egyptian look. Just keep in mind that we are and have been this entire time in Morocco. Speaking of, back in New York, uh, Alex, uh, not Alex, Simon and Mario are filming a scene with some dude at a pool hall. And Mario is just slimy, slimy guy who got away from his wife. And now he's acting like he's on spring fucking break and no rules. I'm free. So he's like so gross. Ugh, he's so gross. Mario, looking back in these early days, at one point he called Luann Countless, <laughs> the Countless after she got divorced. He was just like really nasty. And like he really wanted to get in the mix. And I feel like we don't really talk about how Mario likes to get in the mix. Like there are a lot of conversation about, you know, Peter, you know, um, from Real Housewives of Atlanta or uh, Joe. Gorga over in New Jersey. Um, even Ken Todd. Nobody talks about Mario. Mario was... Pfft, you think Nene called Peter a bitch? Imagine if Mario was on that cast with Nene Leakes. Oh, she would have gone in on him. Anyway, Mario's having the time of his life. And the guy that they brought asks uh, Mario when the ladies are coming back from Morocco. And he goes, I don't know. I hope never. Never. <laughs> so then this the guy calls this lady over and Mario takes a picture with her and Alex Simon takes a picture of Mario with this chick, right? So then Mario runs over to Alex, to Simon and goes, "Are you going to send that? Are you going to send that? Are you going to email that to Ramona right now?" Uh, yeah, why don't you send that email to Dubai? And Alex, uh, Simon goes, "They're in Morocco." And he goes, "Oh, whatever." <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so the episode ends with the ladies sitting down for dinner and Luann has them tell everybody what their favorite moments were. And Alex starts in her typical Alex fashion of this whole speech about how the first time she went to Morocco, she was in her post mommy, post baby glow and had a five month old. And it was just like seeing Morocco through a child's eyes. And they're like, no. Nobody said that. Just here are your options, Jill. Because your options are the hammam, the souk, <laughs> the camel ride. You, those are your options. We're not. We're not going through this, girl. Um, <laughs> such a good, such a good episode. Um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I really had fun talking about these, going back down memory lane. Um, I, you know, if you guys have time, watch these episodes and, and let me know if you agree. Now, I'm going to have to issue the caveat of like, this doesn't mean you can tell me that I'm wrong and I should have chosen a different episode because these are my opinions. But we can have a discussion about the things that I picked, okay? <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Yahabi V. Love you. It's time for me to come out of my husband's shadow and shine.